This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Now that our lives basically run on computers, regional data centers that handle all that internet traffic are a huge business. Companies are investing billions and billions of dollars across Oregon to build and staff them. That can mean massive investments in some communities, but it also raises a ton of questions about land use, clean energy, and government regulation. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Oregonian business of technology reporter Mike Rogaway about what goes on in those warehouses full of computers and how they're already impacting life in Oregon. It's Thursday, November 9th. I'm John Notariani, in for Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. So I think everybody sort of has a hazy idea of what data centers are, but I'm realizing that, like, I'm not even entirely sure what's going on there. Like, what are these data centers and how big of a business is it? Well, the way we think of it uh, as consumers, the the most immediate thing is YouTube, Gmail, Spotify, Netflix, all this entertainment and online service that we enjoy, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all that information lives somewhere. Mm-hmm. And these are the data centers. And a very large number of them are in Oregon. Uh, and they're storing all the, all this information that we upload to the cloud, and they make it available to us. Beyond that, there's sort of classes of computing that uh, everything from tech startups to to supercomputing research projects use data centers to do heavy duty computing, so they don't have to buy really expensive computers themselves. And it's a huge industry, uh, data centers are. It, we'll take Amazon, for example. We think of Amazon as the company that delivers packages to our, our doorsteps, but they have another business where they're providing data centers to all kinds of companies. So last year, that was an $80 billion business for them and $23 billion in operating income. Amazon is, in many ways, a, a data center company even though they have this other business that we as consumers see much more often. And perhaps I should have described these uh, at the beginning. They they look like you might picture like a giant warehouse, like a huge Costco. Mm-hmm. Uh, often they have no branding at all on the outside because they don't necessarily want people to know who's inside. Uh, you know, it's a potential security issue. If you go inside them, it's just rows and rows and rows of computers with blinking LED lights. The lights are, are overhead lights are typically off to save energy, they'll they'll click on uh, if technicians are are working are walking through them. This sounds so dystopian, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But this is where all our you know, we're, and we're all responsible for it. Every time we're watching, well, as we listen to this podcast, as we surf the internet, as we watch YouTube, you know, all this information is stored somewhere other than the computers on our desktop. Yeah, and these data centers make all that possible. Okay, so basically, these are the internet. Yeah, this is the brain of the internet, essentially. And why are they here in Oregon? Like, what is it about our state that makes it appealing for the companies to put them here? 
Well, there are a, a few things to think about. Uh, one is that data centers have to be distributed regionally because even the the little bits of electronic information that that move around, they they take some time to travel, and so it's not like you can put all the data centers in the world in some low cost country somewhere far afield. So the data centers are are distributed geographically, and then the companies that operate them look at several things. They want power and water to be available at reasonable prices, and those are things that Oregon has in abundance. And then we have a favorable tax structure. You know, it, it can cost a billion dollars or m more to, to build a large data center. All that cost is primarily uh, the computers that go inside. Since we don't have a sales tax in Oregon, the companies don't pay sales tax on those computers, and that can save them a great deal of money, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on a large project. So this is like the people from Washington coming down to buy a TV, yeah. but like a billion dollars worth of TVs. <laughs> exactly. We also have a corporate income tax structure that's, that's favorable. And then we do something else nifty for data centers. We will forgive their property taxes quite liberally. We think of property taxes on the tax on our, our home, but in Oregon and, and most other states, you we also tax on what they call real property. We tax on the equipment and machinery that's inside. And these are, again, these very expensive computers and a very large number of them. So Oregon, we have a tax program that was created back in the Reagan administration uh, to encourage small manufacturers to invest in distressed communities. Well, we didn't put any upper limit on how big the tax incentives could be. And so <laughs> small communities will give tax incentives uh, in that are worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to these companies. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and I imagine that this program was originally created to try and create jobs, right? To try and like create economic investment and places for people to work in rural communities. Um, but like these data centers don't employ a ton of people, right? Yeah, you're right. That, that's, a, that's a good observation. That's exactly right. The program was created for job intensive, you know, manufacturers, plywood mills and things like that that might employ, you know, several dozen people in a small community and receive tens of thousands or perhaps a few hundred thousand dollars in tax breaks. People didn't envision billions of dollars in tax breaks. The data centers, you know, some of them like Twitter, now X in, in Hillsborough, they employ 18 people and, and they receive a few million dollars in tax breaks every year. <laughs> you know, you can see why the tech companies found this so inviting and uh, why they have capitalized on it so liberally. The data centers do have very real benefits in these small communities in, in a, a couple ways. You know, if you're a community of, of 12,000 people, uh, and we're talking the area around Boardman in Eastern Oregon or Prineville in Central Oregon, where Apple and Facebook have large data centers, you know, even a few dozen or a few hundred jobs mean an enormous amount to the community. And while most of their property taxes might be forgiven, not all of them are. And so... Amazon, for example, is the largest taxpayer in Morrow County. Oh my gosh, that's so wild. I mean, let's talk about Hillsborough for a little bit because, you know, I, I, I do think that a lot of these data centers we've been reading, you've been doing a ton of great reporting on it. And a lot of this is happening in rural Oregon. But like 
Hillsborough is right outside of the city, you know, <laughs> and, yes. and there has been a lot of development of data centers going on there, too. Like, what what's happening in Hillsborough right now? Yeah, well, for several years, Hillsborough has been working to develop industrial property there, you know, to diversify its economic base. It's it's the it's the heart of Oregon Silicon Forest. It's where Intel is and all of Intel's suppliers. I've heard of Intel. They're they're a bit, they're big, right? <laughs> they are big. They are Oregon's <laughs> largest corporate employer. They have a, a nearly 600 acre manufacturing campus in Hillsborough and other smaller research and uh, corporate campuses around there. You know, very job intensive work there. Mm-hmm. And Hillsborough wants more of that. Oregon wants more of that. You know, more jobs, high paying jobs. But the data centers see this land zoned as industrial and they see the property tax breaks and they say, well, that's pretty inviting. Oh my gosh. I mean, and you mentioned that these things need to be somewhat nearby to like the populations that they're serving. But that doesn't mean like next door, right? <laughs> no. Like it doesn't need to be right outside of the city, does it? No. And so we have three we have 300 acres plus of prime industrial land in Hillsborough being used instead of for really job intensive uh manufacturing, which was, I think, what people had in mind for these large data centers. And of course this is former farmland and this this rubs Oregon's land conservationists the wrong way because they they look out in the fields where they used to grow food or play as kids and they say these big hulking structures. Yeah, well, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the impacts that these things have. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the environmental impacts here, you know, I mean, because one of the things that is true about the Pacific Northwest is that we've got like a ton of like great hydroelectric electricity. Um, and, And I thought that that was part of the reason why these things are ending up here is because we've got good, clean, cheap electricity. But like I hear it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, that, that might have been initially part of it. So Google built the first data center of this kind, of this class, uh, anywhere in the world in the Dalles back in 2006. And at that time, you know, there might have been some hydropower available to them. But the, the issue is that nobody's building new hydropower in the region. There are environmental yeah. <laughs> concerns with, with hydroelectricity uh, and... You know, the dams are here for the most part, especially in the Columbia River, the big the big electricity generating BPA projects. But they're also not generating more power. They're already maxed out. It's not like we have a surplus of power in the region. Uh, everything that's that can be used is is being used. So when the data centers come in, they have to buy power from somewhere else. Yeah. And I guess like an endless warehouse full of computers <laughs> that takes a lot of electricity. You know, it's the, the data centers, the computers themselves use a lot of electricity and they use an enormous amount of electricity to cool the data centers because you have you have to keep them cool. And so it's giant air conditioning systems uh, going in there. So we'll take Morrill County, for example, which was run almost entirely on hydropower, small community of 12,000 people with a little bit of uh, agricultural, industrial use out there. Well, Amazon arrived and the amount of power that they needed soared. And so the their carbon emissions per megawatt hour 
since 2010 have increased 543% out there. We reported this uh, just about a year ago. But it's so funny because I feel like, you know, a lot of these tech companies have this identity as being like, we are all about like new, we're all about clean energy. Like they sort of brand themselves as being really into clean energy. And it sounds like that is not actually the case in practice. Well, yes, they they want to be. And and in some ways they are. And, and, and I want to be clear, you know, Facebook and Apple each invested heavily in clean power projects in central Oregon to help power their data centers there. And I, I think environmentalists give them pretty high marks for that. Mm-hmm. What Amazon says is that they're building clean power elsewhere in in the Western United States to compensate for the carbon intensive electricity they are using in Eastern Oregon. Uh, so, you know, the degree to which you find that explanation satisfactory, you know, mileage may vary. Mm-hmm. Oregon passed uh, about three years ago, a, a complicated clean energy program where we're gonna have our private owned utilities between now and 2040 shift to clean power, but they exempted the kinds of utilities that serve Eastern Oregon, these uh, electric cooperatives out there from, from that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the electric cooperatives are the ones providing the power to the data centers. So the data centers are exempt from Oregon's clean energy requirements. Oh my god! Uh, so <laughs> you, you're 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 making my mouth hang open, Mike. <laughs> like every every couple of minutes with these details that like the, the, the data centers somehow are exempt from Oregon's clean energy laws. Well, and and the lawmakers, after reading our coverage a year ago, said the this past legislative session, some of them thought that we should address that. Well, that got Amazon's attention. And they lobbied very heavily and very successfully to kill the bill that would have done that. And I think Amazon's complaint was that the bill Oregon was passing said they had to use clean power, but didn't give them a path to get there because there isn't the transmission available to provide the clean power to their data centers in Mm -hmm. Morrill County and Umatilla County. And I think that environmentalists see their point and say, okay, well, maybe we should consider a more comprehensive bill. And we'll see what comes up in the session this year or next year that might provide incentives to provide more transmission. So let me just make sure I'm following. We might have laws passed to build more electricity lines to provide clean energy to data centers in rural parts of Oregon that employ a couple dozen people. <laughs> well, I, I should say Amazon and Facebook's complexes are so large that their employment, and they, they don't say exactly how many, but it's probably in the hundreds. What does that cost, Mike? Like, what does it cost to build those transmission lines? Do you have any idea? Well, BPA, I think, has set aside $2 billion for a, a Northwest-wide <laughs> transmission upgrades. But that's not just for data centers, but data centers are a component of that. Uh, you know, there's a, two ways of looking at this, glass half full and glass half empty. The glass half empty way is is what you and I are discussing, you know, that yeah. we're having to spend a lot of money. Glass half full is that the data centers are creating an incentive to create a network for clean energy transmission across the region. Oh, okay. <laughs> These horrible uh, corporate overlords are paving the way for us to have more clean energy in Oregon. Like, okay. <laughs> well, my, my point is just that the glass is half full and half empty. I mean, yeah. it's the same glass and you can look at it either way, but there are potential benefits uh, from this. And, you know, if we think the data centers are, are doing something, you know, that has a, a, a big environmental footprint. Well, we're all responsible for that. Every one of us who use computers, we all play a role in that. Oh my gosh. I mean, you've given us 
plenty of new things to worry about. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> um, but like with all of this, with the environmental issues, with the power transmission, with like just the tax incentives, like do we expect to see any new legislation on this stuff? We're not going to have changes. It doesn't appear in the structure of our tax program mm -hmm. uh, that the enterprise zone program that provides these property tax breaks that was up for renewal this past legislative session. And there were hours and hours and hours of testimony about it that I, I mind numbing testimony, even though data centers receive most something like three quarters of the tax breaks from the enterprise zone program, it almost never came up in the testimony. Uh, and so lawmakers extended the program. And so that's not going to change anytime soon. I think that the area to watch is whether there can be some agreement between the data center operators, between the tech industry and the clean power movement. Uh, on the face of it, they share the same objective. No, no large tech company disputes the science behind climate change. They all acknowledge that power use is contributing to the warming of the planet and changing mm -hmm. climate. The issue is, you know, the solutions that people have in mind for that. And I think it's possible that the state legislature and the tech companies could come up with an agreement for a plan that would both mandate cleaner power and provide incentives and a mechanism to get there. And that's that's the glass half full that we were talking about again. Yeah, yeah. It's possible that we could get there. You know, we have the short legislative session coming up in 2024. I don't know if that kind of ambitious coming together of everybody is something that could be carried off that year in, in the short session, but perhaps again in 2025. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, but at the end of the day, like as you and I talk, you know, right now there is a data center that is handling this conversation somewhere. As people listen to this conversation on their iPhone, like there is a data center that is handling that data. Whoever whoever you're getting this podcast from, it, they are storing it in a data center. That's Ugh. that's just the way it works. And and as I mentioned, you know, Apple has a, a big data center in, in Prineville. Uh, if you're listening to this in the Northwest, it may very well be sitting in there. <laughs> what up, Prineville? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Information doesn't typically sit in one place. It's it's probably also in many other places. But, you know, that is one place where it probably is. But the baseline is that these things are here to stay and are only going to grow and grow and grow in the coming years, right? We are very reliant on them as a population, as a, our economy is reliant on it. We're reliant on it individually. It's where we're going. Uh, the question is, how can we maximize the public benefit from it? Well, Mike, thank you for walking me through all of this. Thank you for all your reporting on this. Yeah, John, I'm glad to do it. And, you know, it, it's... We, the data centers, we're all reliant on them, but we never see them. You know, all the all the computing takes place behind walls. And, Let's take a field you know. trip to Prineville. Let's get everyone <laughs> together. Let's go see. It's worth a look. <laughs> <laughs> and now for your microdose of news, here's a handful of events you might want to check out this weekend. Everyone's favorite public radio-affiliated humorist, David Sedaris, is performing at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall this Friday. I wonder if he's going to do his rant about the Apple Store. Also, if you're feeling hungry, check out the Portland Cheese and Meat Festival at the Left Bank Annex on Saturday. You'll have a chance to choose from dozens of Portland's best artisan food makers. Or, to get in tune with the season, you might want to head down to the Lansu Chinese Garden for the Fall Chrysanthemum Festival. It's a celebration of what's known in Chinese culture as the Golden Flower. The festival runs through the 19th. 
For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. And we also love hearing feedback from all of you here on the show. Our listener, Nicole, wrote in and wanted to talk about the recent episode on the story of the Portland Lou. She said, quote, it's great that we're exporting them. Let's export a few down to the waterfront where hundreds of paddlers congregate every day without a restroom. Let's export a few to the east side so people who use the spring water trail have access. Public restrooms are easily accessible in Europe. Let's make them available here. Well, thanks, Nicole. We totally agree. And if you ever want to reach out, you can send us an email at portland at citycast.fm, or you can just leave us a voicemail. Our number is 503-208-5448. And finally, we had a flub on yesterday's show. We misidentified where Courtney Vaughn works. She's the news editor of the Portland Mercury. Sorry about that, Courtney. That's all for us today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend about it or leave us a rating or a review? I'm John Notariani, in for Claudia Meza. Claudia's back tomorrow morning with a lot more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. Slim's.